fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy You Hoosier. are darn right it is. Welcome into The Voice of Reason, a post-Monday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week, and boy, are we going to have some fun and have a lot to talk about today as we move through a Tuesday. Elections. Yeah, we'll get an update on elections. We've been covering a lot of that. We may take a break briefly from that on the program today. We have John Tamney on the show. He is the author of the book, The Money Confusion. We'll talk about literacy and economics. Do we have economic literacy in this nation now? Are we aware of how to properly handle finances? Do the young generation know how to handle finances? Also, the crypto revolution. Are we moving towards that crypto revolution here in crypto uh, economics here relatively soon? So we'll talk about that, how the government's trying to push us that direction, because you know it's all about control, right? If they can get access to your bank accounts, then they can tell you what you can and cannot spend money on. That is a concern, and I think a lot of people are concerned about that issue for sure. So we'll get into that here in just a little bit. We'll talk with John Tamney about that. We have a few election updates. What a day it's been, though. Holy cow. So yesterday, a little personal story for you. Last night, Mrs. Voice of Reason and I, we went and we went to the parent-teacher conferences for Little Voice of Reason. And overall, was relatively happy. She's rocking it. And so little by little, she's starting to understand. I love it because she's getting into fun math now. She's getting into multiplication, a little bit of division. For those that don't know, she's eight years old and she's in the third grade. So I forgot that we actually started third grade math right about that time for division and multiplication. That's pretty impressive, at least in my opinion. I mean, the fact that they're already at that level and she's starting to grasp it. Her struggle right now has been trying to find the area of something if it's not a a complete square and very simple. So trying to break it down, chop it up, get the area of each one and then moving forward. So uh, we're working on those. But she's, I think, in my opinion, doing very well. And I'm very proud of her. As always, little voice of reason, killing it and rocking it. Now, here's the thing. She is slightly stalling or lagging a little bit in the reading category and a little bit in that math category. But it seems like as is everybody else. And it's no surprise after two years of the COVID-19 pandemic, especially a year and a half, almost two years of any places in the country where they were doing remote learning or essentially just shut down the schools. Why? That's another conversation for another time because we're very scared about a virus that makes you sneeze a lot. (laughs) Okay, hold on. Let me preface that. Let me preface that because that's a very triggering comment for some individuals. COVID can be very dangerous. COVID needs to be something that you watch out for. At the same time, if you build up natural immunity and you're aware of the demographics that actually affect the vast majority of individuals, then you know how to uh, alter yourself from that one. Have a lot of people died from COVID? Yes. They also had a lot of pre-existing conditions as well. Again, another conversation for another time, which is why it really grinds my gears and burns me up beyond belief when we start hearing about the vaccination of children for this COVID-19 vaccine. Because, uh, show of hands, how many people know exactly how many children have died from COVID-19? Not a lot. In fact, in the state of Kansas, where I'm based out of with our flagship radio station here, there at least the last number that I saw, which was about a year ago, could have changed since then. Don't really, not really sure. But uh, there has been one, one child under the year of nine years old that has died from COVID-19. And that case had 
pre-existing conditions and other factors that were involved in there as well. So... This abuse of children, and I call it abuse because we're not giving the adequate resources to children to grow and adapt and evolve and learn and be up to standards that we need to be, that got stalled for two years. Now, what you cannot do, obviously, is just put the brakes on their aging. Hey, sorry, we weren't able to get through this year of school properly, so we're just going to not have you grow this year. You're not going to have a birthday. We're just going to freeze you out for a year, and then we'll just pick it up again next year and just pick up where we left off. You can't do that. You can't put a, a freeze on time. You can't hit the pause button on the aging. Trust me, if that were the case, I would be doing that right now because little voice of reason is growing up way too damn fast, and I'm getting a little scared because the more and more I'm away, the more I miss her, and the more that she's growing, then she's now wanting to get to the age where she's cool to hang out with, but she's not really wanting to hang out with Dad quite as much. <laughs> We've had some daddy-daughter time, and it's great. But then she's like, Dad, uh, I have a birthday party to go to and some friends. No, what are you doing? No, you're supposed to stay here with Dad and play. No, I need to go hang out with my friends. And it makes me a little sad. Looking at education, though, it is concerning. Because how do we rebound from something like what we saw over the last two years? The shutdown of the globe on education, which really means, I mean, honestly, did we see every country across the nation or across the globe lag in their education and their proficiency over that last year or two? Or is it with just the United States? And how do we rebound from that? Because we were already the middle of the pact globally. And you can thank the National Department of Education for that one, uh, for you know dropping the curriculum and dropping the standards in our public education system. Unlike what we had prior to the Department of Education being in existence in the 50s and 60s, when we actually did relatively well globally, worldwide, with our education, because it was privatized, it was the local communities that did it, and now it's, again, nothing against teachers here, because teachers are the awesome ones trying to keep things going, but it's the curriculum given to them by the federal government and the school boards and the Board of Education at the statewide levels that have focused more on the bureaucracy than the actual quality of education. And then when we rely so much on these departments and agencies, then we become dependent on them like we have with oh so many other departments and agencies in our daily lives to where now when something like this happens, we don't know how to take the matters into our own hands. And now we were reliant on the public education system and it's starting to show its ugly face. According to U.S. News and the national report that came out, the national scorecard on education the average math score for fourth graders fell by five points between now and since 2019 while the score for eighth graders dropped by eight points average scores for both grades overall fell an average of three points across the board in math overall 25 percent of fourth graders were below the basic level for 2022 and 38 percent of eighth graders were below the naep basic level In reading, percentage of students fell below the NAEP as well by three percentage points for both fourth graders and eighth graders overall nationwide. Now, it really falls in line with exactly what Little Voice of Reason saw as well, so I'm just as much to blame as everybody else. That's where she struggled. She got A's across the board for all her entire grade, uh, her grade card, except for writing, or I'm sorry, except for reading and mathematics. So I look back and reflect as a parent... What didn't I do that I could have done to help her in that stage that was crucial for her going into the second and third grades? She was obviously remote learning first and second grade, part of second grade, I believe. Now she was in class second grade, I think, last year, I think for the most part. But for first grade, 
she was doing remote learning. How difficult is it for a young child to be learning from a teacher that's on a computer screen and with her essentially doing it from home? Now, luckily, Mrs. Voice of Reason has been an absolute rock star with this because she essentially taught her from home for that entire first grade and does her homework every single night and helps her out with all of this stuff. She's the rock star. She's the one keeping things going here. But on the other hand, I enjoy the math problem, so I enjoy helping Little Voice of Reason with the math problems there. But with the overall national downgrade in reading and in mathematics, I, as a parent, I asked the question, what could I have done to make sure that that didn't happen? Because what this tells me, at least in the mind of a certain individual, as an independent, limited conservative, limited government type of individual, this tells me that we rely way too much on the government-run education system to teach our children as opposed to taking the matters into our own hands at home. Now, obviously, there are so many parents that cannot teach their kids at home. Again, luckily, Mrs. Voice of Reason is able to stay at home and was able to help her in those times when she was there. Uh, It could just be that she just struggles with that a little bit and just needs to play catch up on it. It could again. It's not bad. It's just right at the average. But she she got a B. Okay, here's my standards. I guess as a parent, she got a B instead of an A. She's still up there. She's still doing fine in reading and in mathematics. But she got a B and not an A. And then when I see this story here showing that the national averages for math scores and for reading scores dropped nationally, is it because of her and it was just a completely separate independent thing or is it because that she falls in line with so many other children across the nation between the fourth grade and the eighth grade and the k-12 through education system as a whole to where she fell into that category as well where we didn't make her read enough during the COVID-19 pandemic and now we're playing catch-up we didn't do the cards the flash cards enough for mathematics during the COVID-19 pandemic and I didn't help her out as much because this is concerning And how do we continue to compete at the global level with other nations when it comes to technology, when it comes to computers, when it comes to national defense, when it comes to the military, when it comes to business, when it comes to new innovations? How do we compete on the global scale if our children are behind? And this is going to have the unintended consequences for years down the road. That needs to be a cause for concern for us, because if they're already behind now, what do we do to pick them back up to the pace to get to where they're supposed to be at this age? Or do we just say it's a blip in the system and that that generation for those two years are going to come out of high school with a slightly lower quality of higher of education when they grow up? Do they always just stay three or four points behind what they normally are at that time? Because that's just who they are and that's just the generation that grew up, known as the COVID generation that was in public education that will grow up that way and then still be behind. And if that's the case, then we need to look at really from kindergarten all the way to K through 12. And those that graduated in 2020 and 2021 and early of this year as well for 2022 going in where they were behind just a little bit. How do we play catch up there? An entire COVID generation of children that was impacted by the virus is something that I don't think a lot of people have really looked at unless you're a parent and you're starting to say, wait a second, are they really up to the par that they need to be? And how do we play that catch up? Do we do like year round school? I know that's been a conversation and I'm honestly okay with that doing like an all year round school thing where instead of having the entire summer off of like two months, you do school those two months, but throughout the year you have like two or three week vacations. Not a full month, but do like a two-week vacation. Or you do multiple spring breaks, essentially, and you do a full-on week, week and a half for uh, throughout the year, and then you just go year-round. 
I know every teacher right now that's listening to this program screaming at the radio, throwing things at me. It's okay. I get, I get it. But is that something that needs to be done? And do we, because we not only did we lose the COVID era, but then we went into the virtual learning for a year that was devastating. And then we did the lapse of the summer where they forgot all about the stuff that they did looking at a computer screen, which I think validates the point that computers are not going to be the answer and the be all uh, save all for us when it comes to different software, different apps, and then teachers just saying, here's the notepad, just study from the virtual thing that's going to be on here. We're not going to use books anymore. I think this is a perfect telltale sign and should remind the National Department of Education that trying to get more kids onto tablets and onto laptops and onto computers to learn as opposed to reading books and filling things out with a piece of paper is not as efficient. Prime example, two years of COVID-19 education. It's concerning to me because guess what? While they were trying to quote unquote save us from ourselves with COVID-19, with these ridiculous regulations, we have now the unintended consequences, not only affecting the students, but affecting the parents, that's affecting the teachers, that's affecting all of these school districts across the board. Now, you know what's going to come next from this, of course, and that's going to be school districts coming out of this and saying, hey, our children are way far behind. We can't play catch up. You know what we need? Department of Education, federal government, state government, local property tax owners. We need more money because we need more money to throw at the t- uh, throw at the administrators, to throw at the students, to say we got to play catch up here because we are way far behind compared to what we were in the past, and get ready for some higher taxes all over again because well that's usually the cycle of life. The government throws money at it, and all of a sudden, poof, the problems seem to go away. Lots more coming up on the Voice of Reason. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back to the program, radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the show. We love you to death. Appreciate you hanging out with us today. Education, the scorecard coming in lower than anticipated for public education across the nation. Five points lower in math for fourth graders. Eight points lower for math and the eighth graders there. It's how do we turn this around? Do we... Uh, try and overload them? Do we try and cram two years worth of work into one year of education to try and get them back up to par? Do we extend out the education level? Do we try and focus more on the home front? Which it, it honestly comes down to that, right? I mean, it comes down to the parents and how involved you are as the parents. I mean, it can't rely solely on education, which really uh, led to the conversation, what, years ago on the sex ed and adult ed classes that uh, they had like, I'm not teaching that stuff. The schools, they're teaching our children. They better teach them what's going on here. And that led that whole conversation. Where is the role in the parents of here? And again, just as much to blame. I question that every day. What can I do? What can we do? Do we make her read more? Do we make her do more math problems? Do we make her raise it up? I mean, because, again, she's doing good. She got a B, a B plus, whatever it was, a B compared to an A. But in those categories, that just seems to be in tandem, parallel with nationwide numbers of those categories being lower than usual across the board, which many parents are like, uh, yeah, duh, that's not a surprise to us. 100%. We already all knew this. Um, I think this just 100% goes to show and now prove 
uh, that parents know what's best for their children. Um, what did we think was going to happen when we put children behind a computer screen and um, put them behind masks where they couldn't see their uh, teachers speaking to them, especially for young children. We have a friend whose daughter was doing just fine and now has an IEP because of speech issues and obviously reading uh, issues to follow. Um, it, like I said, it's only confirmed what we already knew. So already confirmed what we already that By the way, audio from Fox News. They had a panel from different parents all over the country giving their input on this report card, and it's yet yeah, no surprise. What do you expect when you put masks on these kids and they can't look at the teacher look in their eyes, read their lips, sing what's going on in class because they're doing it over the virtual class. What to, what do you expect when they're doing it from the laptops? And again, uh, most teachers said, yeah, let's get back in the classroom. Let's do this the real way. We need physical interaction with these children. We need to look them in the eye. We need to make sure they're paying attention. We need to make sure they get it and grasp it. You can't see the blank stare of despair from a child when you're looking at them from a Zoom call and a webcam over a laptop. It doesn't work that way especially for young children who are trying to learn because that's the most important developmental stage of their life, and especially for the older children who want to zone out because they don't want to be there in the first place. A major issue across the board. And the problem is, you know the crazy part about all this? There are still school districts that are pushing for this agenda that still think there's, for some crazy wackadoodle reason, that there's a need to put masks on these children who, by the way, do not get affected by the virus, or at least when they do, it doesn't harm them in any way, shape, or form. Again, name it, show me the numbers. Show me the numbers of the number of children that have died from COVID-19. And they're spreading it to other people. Guess what? Kids spread things all over the place. If this was a major concern for us, then we would never have kids get together forever. <laughs> Just never. My daughter stayed home today, not because she's got COVID-19, but she's got a cough and a sniffle and a sore throat from the drainage because guess what? It's sinus season and it's allergies. But, but, everybody loses their mind because now, and the health officials are saying this now, you got COVID and the COVID variants that are new out now out there. You have the flu season because it's regular flu season and you have allergies and RSV. So therefore, you have the trifecta, and all of them have the exact same symptoms of a sneeze and a cough and a headache and a potential fever and a sore throat. So either little voice of reason is going to die from COVID or she's going to have the sniffles for a day and then get better and get back to class. I don't know which one it is because the doctors won't tell us because they all have the exact same stupid symptoms, but they got to take those precautions. But... Is that what we're up against now? Anytime we get a sniffle, we're paranoid, going to keep them from home and again, keep them away from their education so they can't adapt and evolve and grow and learn because we're scared of this virus that we shouldn't be concerned about the much Voice anymore. Of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, halfway through the show already. John Tamney, not able to get a hold of him right now. We'll see if we can't get him on a little bit later or we'll get him rescheduled on the show. Not a big deal. Author of the book, the new book, The Money Confusion. He's an author of multiple books as we talk about economic issues. Cryptocurrency. Is there economic literacy? I Here in Candace, where I'm based out of, they tried to this year, and it didn't work in our legislative session. Don't know why. Anybody that Here's the thing. Anybody that votes against this is seriously against children. 
And I'm saying that very boldly. I usually don't make those kind of proclamations. Let's talk about it. Let's see the other side in their thought process. But anybody that seriously is against an economic literacy class for K through 12, like in order for you to graduate high school, you need to take a financial literacy class to learn about bank accounts, to learn about savings, to learn about interest rates, to learn about credit cards and learn about debt, to learn about mortgages, to learn about the basics of these things in order to move off out of your parents' house and into the real world, which apparently, according to my generation, doesn't happen until you're like 30 years old. <laughs> but nonetheless, this should be mandatory for you to do a basic financial literacy class to graduate high school. And anybody that votes against an economic literacy class or a financial literacy class is literally against children. I'm going to say that hashtag against children because that's stupid. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Even as a Democrat, unless you openly want them to be economically illiterate, it's because the government actually does take care of us and give us money. (laughs) Unless you really, truly believe that stupid mindset, then... You want to be economic literate, and you want to be able to basically understand finances. Just the basic level. How to balance a checkbook, how to make sure. Uh, working in banking before, I could tell you stories. It's kind of fun. Mrs. Voice of Reason and well being in banking prior to as well. Stories of the people that would come into the banks. Can't say what banks or anything. Stories of people that would come in thinking that because they had checks still in their checkbook that therefore they had money, and why in the world are their checks bouncing when they try to write a check? Oh, oh, yes, oh, yes. People literally coming into the bank saying, hey, my my bank account is overdrawn. What are we going to do about this situation? Oh, what? I don't know. I don't know. How about, like, get a job? That could be something for you as well. Level up yourself, my friends. Level up. Oh, There are literally people out there like that, which is why why we needed financial literacy class in order to graduate high school. Unfortunately, here in Kansas, Democrats voted against it for some odd reason, and I don't quite understand why. Many states have them, many states do not, and I think it's something that we need to focus on a little bit. So we'll talk about that with John Tamney on the program a little bit later. Right now, though, let's get into some other issues with what's trending. What's trending today? Speaking of COVID, briefly... There was a new uh, news uh, story came out of the state of Ohio where Tim Ryan, the candidate running for Demo- uh, running for the U.S. Senate in the state of Ohio, is super excited about the new COVID-19 stuff as he gets to try and lay down the law and re-implement many COVID-19 protocol in the state of Ohio as they advocate for mask mandates and vaccine mandates and all the other lockdowns that they did prior to 2020. I know. I don't quite understand it because that is an extremely unpopular position. So if you want to shoot yourself in the foot, then all the power to you. I don't know why you would want to do that. You think you would want to play your cards smartly and be like, I'm for individual freedom. Even though you don't believe it, at least say it. I take that back. I mean, say what's on your mind and say what you're really going to do. So I applaud you for that, I guess. But oh, how the Democrat Party has changed. Back in the day, all the way back when, like when I first got into politics and in the 90s and in the early 2000s and before that as well, it really started changing under the Barack Obama era. Democrats used to be very sly. They used to say that they were for economic prosperity. They used to say they were for the private sector. They used to say they were for economic growth and individuals succeeding. They used to say that they were for the private sector, the invisible hand of Adam Smith. They used to say that they were for privatization of things. They didn't believe it, but they used to tell the American people that they used to campaign as such. 
JFK, kind of back in the old school days of the Democrat Party, used to say, ask not what you can do for what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And oh, how that policy has changed. It was still kind of sort of there under Bill Clinton in the early 90s, wasn't it? I would think, in the, in, I guess in the mid-90s, Bill Clinton tried to look like he was kind of a moderate, which he was in some degrees, wasn't in other aspects. He tried to come out and say that he was for economic prosperity and for the financial prosperity of all through the privatization and personal success. But all that changed after George W. That grew, by the way, the economy vastly through economic uh, investment into the government, the expansion of government programs, and really came to fruition under Barack Obama that literally said, yeah, you know what, we're just going to expand the amount of food stamps we have on the market. We're going to expand the amount of government programs willingly. We're going to make those social programs so much bigger and better before and expand them to the point to where now the over 50% threshold of Americans are on these social programs. We're going to take care of you. Which goes back to the whole economic literacy thing. If you understood what the government does, then that's not taking care of you. That's just abusing you and putting that glass ceiling on you and creating a financial servitude and slavery in the system. But that's what Barack Obama did. And just like any other government program, now that it's there, is it really going to go away? Could you ever name one time when a government agency or department ever downsized or went away once it was created and once they expanded it? Republicans right now are campaigning in the in the uh, 2022 midterm elections here, saying that they're going to try and retract the growth of the IRS and get rid of those 87,000 new IRS agents that are going to be coming after you to make sure you're paying your fair share in taxes. Now, I say that if you're going to do it, you better do it as one of the very first things in January because once it actually takes hold and once those agents are actually hired, they're not going away. So be fully aware of that. But I'd like for just a moment to remind you and to bring the awareness that conservatism, I always say the, con- the conservative principles, constitutionalism, limited government, personal freedom, personal individual sovereignty, that message, when spoken the right way to the right crowds that have never heard republicanism or conservatism before, that message resonates deeply with a lot of people and that we find a lot of common ground with a lot of people that we never thought we had common ground with. For example, as a headline out of Fox News today, Muslim Americans find common ground with conservatives over politi- uh, political politicalization of American schools. Now, they talk about, of course, the Muslims working with conservative groups over the woke individuals that are in our public schools now pushing this LGBTQ agenda, uh, talking about sexual preferences, talking about critical race theory, all these other garbage things, that Muslim Americans are actually pushing back against this and siding with conservatives, which really begs the question, are we going to see a change in the Ilhan Omar race up in Minnesota? Are we going to see other races to where the Muslim community predominantly votes with Democrats, as do so many other uh, uh, minorities, I guess, in the country? Are they going to start siding with Republicans because the Democrats have pushed the envelope just a little bit too far? But on the grander scale of things, it would make sense why they side with conservatives. Because conservatives are the party, Republican Party, led by conservative movements, at least hopefully they are, as we try to clean up the party from the radicals on the fringe sides of it, saying, I'm a Republican, I just don't like anything limited government. If we promote our agenda the right way, we can win over any demographic. 
not to lump them in to say everybody votes the same way because Democrats are finding that out right now, which is why they're calling black Americans a vote Republican as Uncle Tom's. They're going after the Hispanic community for voting Republican like Myra Flores down in Texas. They're losing their minds over these demographics that are leaving the Democrat Party. But really, in general, there are a lot of parallels and uh, a lot of similarities between some of the values of minority communities and the Republican Party. For example, Muslims are very strict with themselves, think the LGBTQ community is absolutely insane. They despise them. If you remember, there was a story from, uh, what was Starbucks a couple of years ago? Between Muslims and gays that did not get along working at Starbucks because, uh, because Starbucks tried to be inclusive and bring over refugees from the Middle East, and it started clashing within their stores with the LGBTQ crowd that parades themselves as being the ones that really are the representation and identity of Starbucks. When you box everybody up together like that, then the boxes begin to fight amongst each other and eat each other alive, which is what you're seeing within the Democrat Party right now. They like traditional values. Guess which side of the aisle actually promotes traditional values? Let's look at Hispanic Americans for a second. They also like uh, traditional family values as being very stern individuals. Overall, again, this is general assumptions here. They also like the border being closed to a vast degree because they fled cartels that were running rampant in the countries of Mexico and all of Central America, where it was all the drug lords that told them either you work for us or you pay us a certain fee for your business or we kill you. They don't want that coming to the United States. They fled here for a reason to try and get away of that absolute insanity from cartels. Guess which side wants to close the border to make sure cartels can't come in to the United States to bring humans and bring drugs and bring crime into the United States. Why do you think that the vast majority of Hispanics that are elected at the southern border are Republican? Let's look at the African-American community for a second. Crime rates. Through the roof in inner cities. Guess what the largest demographic is of individuals buying firearms and supporting the Second Amendment and getting their concealed carry permits? Blacks, women, and especially black women across the nation. Number one largest demographic that's growing supporting the Second Amendment. What side of the aisle, pray tell, supports the Second Amendment and your right to defend yourself to stop criminals dead in their tracks as opposed to waiting for cops to come and do a biopsy on you once they came and raid your house and raped you and attacked you and your children, whether at the store or in your home. What side defends your individual right to defend yourself? Seems like the minority communities, we have a lot in common. They just haven't heard that Republican message because Republicans have been bad sending that message. But they're starting to wake up and realize, wait a second, Democrats really don't have our best interests in mind. Oh my, what a shocker. Lots more coming up. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day the voice of reason with andy hoosier Welcome back into the show last few minutes here i know i'm going to get some hate mail from the other side of the aisle i know you listen to the show you are more than welcome to email me hoosier media network at gmail.com h-o-o-s-e-r media network at gmail.com let me know your hate message i get it andy how dare you think that they don't side with democrats we're looking out for their best interests with all these groups yeah how well's that worked out donald trump did a great job as president 
touring around and saying, hey, minority communities, what have you got to lose? You voted Democrat for how long and see how well that's worked out for you. What have you got to lose? Give us a try. Let us focus on individual liberty. Give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You give a man, uh, teach a man how to fish and give him a fishing rod. You, teach, you, you feed him for a lifetime. That's what it's all about. I'm all for hands up helping individuals out when they're down and out, but let's get them back up and get them back off of it and get them back succeeding and feeling good and efficient and successful on their own all over again. And that's what we're all about here. But there are conservative values that reach and span to every different quote-unquote group. And again, identity politics is the worst, most lowest common denominator of crap that's out there. I'm sick and tired of hearing about identity politics. And that's how the Democrat Party has branded themselves as nothing but identity. You're either a skin color, you're a religion, you're a gender, you're a sexual identity. That's who you are. Therefore, you must think this way. You must support these groups. You must feel this way. You must say things this way and you must vote this way. That's what we become in this nation. We have become so superficial that we no longer look at the individual and their personal needs, which it makes sense, I guess, for the Democrats and for the big government because they can't micromanage every single person in this nation. They can't. They can't do it. That's why let's just try and generalize it. We'll lump some of them into this group over here, and then we'll just kind of give them the basic necessities that that, that group says that they want. <laughs> That's how the government runs. That's how progressives and socialists love to run the nation when we realize that we have individual needs. But looking at those identities, conservative principles, limited government, free market, laissez-faire capitalist principles, they resonate with everybody just in a different way. And we have to be better as the Republican Party to teach that, to preach that, to get that word out there and let them know. When you're talking to, I had on, and this is a few years ago when I had a local program during the week, not the national program now, but when I was doing a morning show, there was here in town, there is the Islamic Society of Wichita. And I can't remember his position there. His name's Hussam Mahdi. I don't know if he's still there or not. I haven't talked to him in years. He's a great guy. I had him on the program with me. And boy, did I get a lot of heat for that one from my listeners. But I was excited to chat with him because it's all about community outreach and trying to bring everybody together and work together. That's what I'm all about. Bring in the, it sound like a damn hippie. I'm har- <laughs> Harmony and happiness and love, baby. That's what it's all about. And just trying to bring differences aside to where we can actually work together to make a community a better place because we're not about the identity division. We're not about hating on people just because they're different. We're about working together to make things happen in your local community. That's what it's all about. I had him on the program with me for close to an hour. And I'll never forget this. He asked me, he goes, so what is this conservatism that you speak of? What is this? I've never heard of this word before. What To you, what is this conservative? And I told him, it's about making choices for you, your individual sovereignty, the government, not telling you how to live your life, not telling you what to do, not telling you what food you have to buy and when to buy it, not telling you how you can buy things, not telling you what you can do with your life, you making your own decisions. You can defend yourself. You can start a business. You can do whatever you want it because you are an individual. You're not a subject to the government. And I explained that to him. And I remember like it was yesterday in this very studio that I sit in right now. He sat back in his chair. He closed his eyes. He looked up at the, at the, at the ceiling pondering and he goes if this definition of conservatism is what you say it is i'm a conservative too i just want to be left alone i just want to live my life i want to have opportunity this american dream the streets paved with gold i want this opportunity for myself 
and for my family and for my children. That's why we came to the United States. That's why everybody comes to the United States. And you can't do that when government is controlling and regulating every aspect of your life, keeping you in the dark, putting you back into the dark ages without teaching you financial literacy so you can understand how badly the government's screwing you with high taxes and high government regulations, wanting to regulate every transaction out of your account. Not teaching you that you can defend yourself with the Second Amendment in the proper safety procedures with the Second Amendment to know how to use a firearm in case you get into that situation, God forbid. Not teaching you about the healthy family lifestyle and the healthy family unit that allows the young children to grow up with a better childhood to be on a better grounding when they grow up. No, no, no. When you do that, you're privileged because not everybody gets that. So you are the problem with society. So let's find a way to break you up. It's a war on values, it's a war on the family, and it's a war on us being able to live our lives and live that American dream, and that's what its elections is all about, and we're going to stop it.